Today is a very special Sunday. You're glad to be in church. If you are, say amen. Wasn't it good just to speak and sing the praises to the Lord this morning, just saying what he is and what he's done for us? Even if you're like me and you don't have your glorified voice yet, we're still waiting on that one for eternity, <laughs> where we sound like we're supposed to sound when we sing, but it's so powerful just to lift our voices and praise the Lord on Sunday mornings. Good stuff. Now we have an opportunity of going into a very unique Sunday. I found out via Facebook this last week that uh, the last time we did this was five years ago this Sunday, actually, Memorial Day weekend, five years ago. And so we have not done this for a while, though it was a tradition in our church for quite some time. And so we're glad to bring it back. It's called Ask Them Anything. So if you're new here, this is not normally what we do at this point. Normally I would come and teach a sermon from a specific passage. Uh, but today we're doing an Ask Them Anything, which means you literally are in control of where we go with the conversation. We've got five basic questions that you can walk through, categories, and some of you are new to this, so we thought we'd open up by expressing those categories. Uh, before we do that, my name is Josh, this is Heather, we lead Southern Hills Church, we've been doing so for, how long has it been? It's a year younger than Jonathan, you know, so a mom, a, so everything's like by my children's it's age. It's been a long so time. It'll be 17. 17 years, that's year, right. In yeah. August, yeah. Oh, wow, thank you very much. <laughs> I love how enthusiastic everybody else was. You're like, yeah. I was like, all right, let's get to it. Come on. Uh, so any question that you'd want, there are multiple ways in which you can uh, do this. You can turn in a question by scanning that code right there. Just hold up your, uh, your phone and uh, scan that code. If you don't know what a QR code at this point is, well, I don't know where you've been the last year. So go ahead and do that. If you don't have a smartphone or would like to turn it in another way, you can take a connection card right there in the seat in front of you. You can write it on the connection card, hold it up, one of our ushers will take that card back to Michael in the back, and uh, he will help us get that question. So we will be taking live questions right uh, today. We're going to open up, though, by explaining the five different kinds of questions you can ask, uh, really categories. Uh, number one is a theological question. Heather, what is a theological question? Those are questions about God in the Bible. So some, one of the questions, actually, that was turned in is, what is the Holy Spirit? You know, explain the Trinity. Yeah. Which, yeah, that'll be easy. Yeah, piece of cake. Uh, <laughs> explaining the Trinity has not been something that has been difficult over the last 2,000 years in Christian history. Biblical questions. Biblical questions are, what does the Bible say about? Specifically, questions mm -hmm. like, what does the Bible say about uh, tattoos? What does the Bible say about cremation? And so that would be a biblical question. The third kind of question is? Apologetic questions. So these are ones that kind of defend your faith. So an example of this would be, how do we know that Jesus actually existed? Right, defending your faith from a rational point of view. So a, a, uh, an apologetic question doesn't necessarily go immediately to written scripture. You're defending your faith from a rational perspective to somebody who does not hold your same faith. Then there's number four, application questions. And we get a lot of application questions as we minister here in Las Vegas. Those are questions uh, that really have to do with how does my faith play out in my daily life? I believe these things. How does it practically apply to my life? Questions like how do you know Jesus? Uh, how, how do you know what you're supposed to do in the day-to-day -day life of our, mm -hmm. our personal existence? So, so those are application questions, and those are wel welcome. The last category of question is the random question. What is a random question, Heather? It's random. It's anything you want to ask. So it could be something non-biblical. Give us a little break there. Right. Uh, what is your favorite soft drink? Yeah, something this, about us? Or this is your opportunity random. to mess yeah. with Josh and Heather. So we know some of you have come here for that sole purpose, and we're glad. We're so glad. So glad. So let's go ahead and get into it. The first question, we have a, questions that have already been turned in. 
uh, throughout the week, and we're going to kick it off with that. And then as your questions go back to the booth via the app, or if you hold up a question and they get back to the booth via the app, they'll place those questions live on the screen, and then uh, we'll answer those questions for you. All right? Let's go ahead and begin. What do we have first uh, question this morning? All right. How do you know Jesus actually existed? This is the question that we're actually going to begin with for each and every one of these services today, 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30, give you an opportunity to write out your questions and turn them in, but this is a question that we get uh, quite often, and it could fall in the, uh, in the category of apologetic questions, uh, defending our faith from a rational point of view to perhaps somebody that's an unbeliever. Have you ever had that question come to you? How do you know if you, you've dedicated yourself to be a disciple of Jesus How do you know that Jesus actually existed? That's a good question. And the answer to that question really, um, I think, has been best answered by a man named Gary Habermas. Gary Habermas wrote a book entitled The Historical Jesus. Gary Habermas does not attempt to defend the idea of Jesus Christ from the scripture. Instead, he goes to outside historic literature that were written about Jesus during the time of Jesus' life and the subsequent decades that came after the life of Jesus Christ. He clearly outlines, and it's very definitive work, he clearly outlines 45 specific ancient sources with 129 reported facts concerning the life, teachings, death, burial, and the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when you go to that source, that source specifically can help us understand the historical perspective or the national perspective or the worldwide global perspective of this person named Jesus from Nazareth, Mm -hmm. who some called a sorcerer, who some called a rabbi who could do magic. Uh, These different perspectives were all validated historically. Mm -hmm. And so outside of the biblical text, you can actually find uh, 45 historians writing about Jesus Christ, which validate the historicity of Jesus himself. And by the way, there are... Historicity? Is that a word? Historicity. I just made it up, I think. That sounds made up. It's a word. (laughs) It's a word. See? He knows. He's like, thank you very much. So these are ways in which we can do it. Not only the historical record, but the archaeological record. Yeah, so um, uh, there's a person that's mentioned quite a bit in Scripture named Caiaphas. Who was Caiaphas? Someone shout it out. High priest. priest. Yeah, during Jesus' time. So there's a lot written about him in the Word of God. Oh, and I'm going to need those. It's allergy season. (laughs) So a lot is written about Caiaphas uh, in the scripture, but you don't find him in other historical writings. However, if you go to the uh, the museum in Jerusalem, which those of you who've been with us to Israel may recall seeing this in the temple, I keep saying the temple, the museum in Jerusalem, you can actually see the bone box that they discovered, I think quite recently, of Caiaphas. And they're like, who is this person? It's the same time dating from the same time of Christ. Right, so so the historical, just another confirmation of that. Yeah, the archaeological record. The, they say in Israel, the more you dig, the more we confirm the details of the Bible. And that was definitely the case. A lot of people said there was not no historical record of this mm-hmm. Caiaphas that the Bible talks so much about until archaeologists actually mm-hmm. dug up the ossuary of Caiaphas. Uh, the high priest that dates to the time of Jesus, and they're like, well, I guess he existed. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the Gospels always said he existed, so uh, there would be one way right there. One other resource that I prefer, and that I think most of our church knows about this, but if you're new to Southern Hills, this might be new to you. Lee Strobel wrote The Case for Christ, and it, he Great starts book. as um, his wife converted. He was a journalist, and he was very upset that she would convert to Christianity. He thought she was in a cult. He began to study out 
the story of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And he came at it from a non-believing perspective. He was not a believer. He began to research exactly what Josh mentioned that the other author um, talks about. Just, first of all, did he even exist? Was he even real? Um, not was he God, just was Jesus on earth at this time? And he starts with presenting the facts that he found. And then he began looking at, well, was he really creator? And he really, through this, became a believer. It's how he got saved. And so he shares his testimony there and a lot of great resources. So that's a wonderful resource. They have a book and, I think, a video of that as well. So The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, or the other one that he mentioned was Gary Habermas, The Historical Jesus. Let's go ahead and go to the next question. According to Jesus, the 12 apostles will sit on the thrones in heaven with him. Uh, since Judas betrayed Jesus, who will be the 12th? Uh, who will be sitting on the 12th throne? That's a great question. Heather, what do you think? Oh, um, I love so many of these questions. It's actually because, debatable, right? Yeah, we don't, so many of these things, there's a couple of good options, but we don't know. Um, I had a friend one time that called these God's secrets. The Bible mentions God's secrets. I think some of these are just, we have to wait. It'll be like a surprise on Christmas morning when you get to heaven. Maybe that's the first thing. You'll worship Jesus, and then boom, you're like, where is the 12th? that Paul is at Matthias, okay? So uh, what happened after uh, Jesus died and, and rose again, uh, the disciples said, hey, Judas isn't here. He should, you know, he's out. Who, who are we going to put in the, the spot? And they voted in Acts 1 on Matthias. They brought in Matthias. But then in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, yeah, are you going to read Acts 1? Well, I was going to read Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 basically says, yeah, that Matthias was voted in as the, the next disciple, but a lot of people say, no, it wasn't Matthias. Really, that was the disciples trying to figure out who would be the 12th on their own, and the way they did it was by casting lots, and uh, the lot fell on Matthias. Uh, basically, that means like casting dice, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, you must be the guy. Has and then, God ever used that before? I mean, he did. I think about yeah. the story of Esther, um, this unbeliever, Haman, rolls the dice just to see when he's going to pass the edict of when the Jews are going to die. Guess when it falls? The day of Passover. Yeah. So right when these parents are getting this news that you're gonna, you know, you're all gonna die, and they have to talk, they have to go then in, in this panic, and they sit down that night and they begin talking about God's deliverance of their ancestors from Egypt, and they're rehearsing this with their children. That was not coincidence, and that was used by casting of lots. So I'm just right. gonna throw that in. So it's absolutely <laughs> possible that it was Matthias that will be the twelfth apostle whenever we get to heaven. Uh, the other option is uh, the apostle Paul, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, in verse eight. Um, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. So according to 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about Paul actually referring to himself as the apostle who was not born during the same time or was not around during the same time or was not following Jesus during the same time as the other disciples. And perhaps he was that 12th apostle that has been brought in. So one of the two. You say, which one is it? I don't know. Whoever right, you think. If you had to make a guess. I would say Paul. You'd say Paul? Yeah. What do you think? I'll say Matthias then. All right, there you go. <laughs> Just to even it out, so one of us will be right. We'll find out when one day. When we get to heaven, at least we'll get the point because <laughs> we got it together. All right, next question. Uh, how do you know Jesus is the Son of God and not mm -hmm. simply another prophet? Okay, this is a really good question, and it really is um, supposing that there was a Jesus, right? So if supposing that this individual believes in the historical Jesus you're talking to, and supposing that they do have a belief in our authoritative scripture, uh, then we would go to uh, the words of Jesus himself and the words of his followers. And that's really where this argument lies. What you're going to have to do if you're ever answering this question for yourself, your children, friends, family, you really have to then go to what did Jesus say about himself? And secondly, what did his followers say about him? If Jesus called himself the Son of God, the unique Son of God, or God himself, 
then we need to take that seriously. Or if his followers called him God, we need to take that seriously as well. What did they say before we make up our own conclusion? Now, it's very arrogant of us 2,000 years ago to come up with a conclusion without necessarily looking at what the person said about themselves and what their followers said about him. So what did Jesus say about himself? And the key is, by the way, you can't say that Jesus is good. He's not a good teacher. He's a heretic. If he's not God, if he's claiming to be God, and he's not, I mean, that's the worst of the worst. It's not, you can't have it both ways. You can't have him be good and a good teacher and not God. No, he's really bad damning people to hell by saying, come to me if he's not the one to come to. Yeah. So a couple of things, a couple of the verses, John 5, 18, um, it talks about the Jews sought the more to kill him. Why? Because not only he had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. That was one of the reasons the Pharisees were so stirred up and hated him so much. Not only the fame and publicity he was getting and the followers he was drawing to himself, but the fact that he's claiming, I am the Messiah, I'm God. Yeah, the logical conclusion is why in the world would they be trying to kill him, these religious zealots? Mm -hmm. The answer is, is because he kept claiming to be God. So if you were to say, Jesus never claimed to be God, Jesus never said himself that he was God, then why were mm -hmm. they trying to kill him? They were killing him specifically for this reason. It says the same thing in John chapter 8. What does it say? In verse 58, these are the words of Christ himself. He said, verily, verily, truly, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I was. How could he be before Abraham? Only if he was the eternal God. Yeah. And whenever he claims to, when he states the phrase, I am, remember in a Jewish context, for somebody to say, I am that I am, is putting himself all the way back during the time of Exodus as the God who spoke to uh, Moses through the burning bush when he said, who sends me? And, and, and God says, say, I am has sent you. So for somebody to say, I am that I am, Jesus was claiming divinity. Je but, but you see, it's really hard for me to put my mind around that. So it was for the early disciples. The disciples followed Jesus for three years before they fully grasped the divinity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was trying to explain this in the upper room the night Jesus was gonna be crucified or betrayed to be crucified in John chapter 14. And let's see, let's, I wanna ask you, does anybody remember which disciple it was who said to Jesus, show us the Father? Yeah. Make anybody a guess. Remember? You got 12 or 11. You know it's not Judas. And it's not Paul or Matthias that come later. Who was <laughs> yeah. it? Who was it? Does anybody remember? Not it Tom. was Philip. Philip, Philip. Yeah. yeah. The Bible says in John chapter 14, Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the night Jesus <laughs> was going to be betrayed and crucified. And still, most of the disciples are like, ah, we don't know who you are really. And, and, and they said, show us God the Father and we'll be, and Jesus looks at Philip and says, Philip, have I been so long with you and yet you don't recognize me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Mm -hmm. Why do you say, show us the Father? So Jesus over and over claimed divinity. He claimed to be one with God. Can we have a little application there? I mean, it's so easy, isn't it, to listen to the words of Philip and be like, he's right there. How did you not know him? But, I mean, I'm being convicted right now in my own heart as I'm thinking about that because how much has God shown himself to me as I've walked with him? And how often do I'm, I'm like, oh, you know, God, who, show me who you are. And he's like, Heather, I've shown you over and over. How many times does our faith lack? And God has proved himself so much, and yet we're just like Philip. We, we question and we doubt. Yeah, we we're, we're slow people, aren't we? Yeah, for sure. So what else? Do, it's not only the words of Christ that claim his own divinity. 
Um, it's the words of his followers. And here's a few scriptures you can look up at your own time. For example, uh, John chapter 20 and verse 28. Thomas. That's Thomas. Yeah, yeah, Thomas, the doubting disciple, whenever he sees Jesus, the resurrected <laughs> Lord, he says, surely you are God. He calls him his own God. And so the disciples called Jesus God after the resurrection. This takes place in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. The apostle Paul refers to Jesus as God. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, refers to Jesus as the unique Son of God, the God of heaven himself. So the New Testament is very clear on this point. Jesus is, was, and always will be God. Good question. Next question. Who is your favorite child? Okay, so. That was easy. Um, did, you get, did one of you guys send this one? Did you send this this morning? All right, you want to say it together? One. No, no, you say it because I don't want to go on record. <laughs> no, you have to. It's the deal. It's how I it forgot, works. I forgot who oh, won. you forgot who yeah. won? Yeah. <laughs> Savannah. Savannah. Savannah is, is our, our favorite, favorite child, child for the right. year of 2021. At December, we have a regular game in our family called the Favorite Child Competition. And the other two will have a chance to reclaim the title. So best of luck to you, Scarlett and Jonathan, for this next year. This is year. our annual tradition that we learned from the lobbers, actually. And uh, the way it works They're is... a little nicer with theirs. Theirs only last for 24 hours. Right, we ours for the year. entire year. <laughs> Some of you are looking at us like we're bad parents. Well, you know, we don't care what you think. So <laughs> the way it works is every Christmas... Only there's the strong a, survive. <laughs> there's, a, there's an annual competition where they can prove to us mm -hmm. through three, three different competitions on that day who will be the favorite child for the next yeah. 12 months. And, you, and then uh, Savannah happened to win this year. Nobody other, believed she won when she yeah. won. The other two were like, what? No, yeah, you she, know, she even was like, let me see the point. <laughs> she was surprised. But yeah, there's, uh, there's trivia. So we have family trivia, which is my favorite part. Yep. So it kind of teaches family history about the grandparents and other things. Then we have a crafty one that they have to do something one year. They had to write a poem or a song about their parents. Yeah, Jonathan um, always yeah. loses that one, actually. <laughs> And then uh, there's also one that's more like skill, like a kind of a minute to win it type game that's Christmassy. So, so yes, yeah. Savannah is officially mm -hmm. our favorite child. No perks come with Until that. People December. have asked that before. It's not like you get the front seat or anything else. You just get the title. Yeah. So we have to admit it anytime Scarlett, we Scarlett really needs to work harder this next year, I think. So, all right. <laughs> all right, next. Next question. What is, some, people, some people are waiting for us to like, like no, we're just kidding. We're not kidding. <laughs> best thing ever. It's so fun. Okay, so a Trinity <laughs> question. What is the Holy Spirit uh, and is the Trinity real? Yeah, um, yes. yes. <laughs> the Trinity is a historic doctrine for Christianity. Mm -hmm. Any, anybody who claims the Christian faith, who does not validate the Trinity, is considered outside of the Christian faith. That is heretical compared to all Christians. Uh, um, so they have apostatized. The, the Christian doctrine is that there is God the Father, God the Son, God the... Do we have a, gra do we have a graphic prep? Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure. Okay, good. All right. So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God. We do not believe in three gods. So we are, mm -hmm. we are uh, historically and theologically monotheists. Mm -hmm. From Deuteronomy, the Lord your God is one God. Yeah, and we've always believed that. That stems from our, uh, the Judaism and from which Christianity rose. There is, we believe in one God, but that one God expresses himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The reason we like this graphic is because it shows us that God the Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father, but the Son is God. The Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God. He is a three-part being uh, in one 
what we call Godhead. Now, how can we believe this? Well, because the scriptures teach us over and over this principle that each one claims to be God and is viewed by our forefathers as God, though all three are one person. I am all about asking 8.30 some of the questions. You said you guys are That's on right. top of it. Does anyone know where we first see the Trinity mentioned in scripture? Just shout it out. Genesis, we're in Genesis. Yeah, right at the beginning of your Bible. It talks about in creation. Uh, we see a plural, okay? We see the Spirit of God move upon the waters, and we see a plurality. Um, and where is that plurality found? Yeah, the Bible <laughs> says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the word God there is actually Elohim, which is uh, a plural usage of the word God. Now, there is a debate. I don't want to get into that. Uh, but yes, Elohim being a three-part or a plurality of gods, all created in one. And so in the same passage, you see what... Uh, so those, the let us make man in our image translated from the Elohim? John chapter 3. So what you... I mean, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 3. So what you actually see is in the same context of the first few chapters and sometimes in the same sentence, you see God being referred to as a singularity and as a plurality. And grammatically, if you're a gr grammarian, you're reading this, you'd be like, this is driving me crazy. Is it singular or is it plural? And the answer is grammatically, Yes. Yes, he is both a singularity and a plurality all at the same time. Good. Now, um, people have tried to use different examples to explain this, um, and I like some of them, but they all break down. So uh, you can talk about the different roles, like this is one man, but he's a, he acts differently as a pastor, as a father, as a husband. But that's, what is that, mod modalism, Patrick? It's called, it's, it's called modalism. <laughs> modalism. It's a heresy. So um, everything you use, whether you use the apple and then you divide it up into three parts, that's another heresy. It's, Partialism. It's, it's not something you can fully understand. There's a great video on that about St. Patrick trying to explain it to the people. So if you Google St. Patrick explaining the Trinity, it's a little cartoon and it's funny. It's really Really, awesome. this, is a, this is a great recommendation. If you go on YouTube mm -hmm. and Google or search... Um, St. Patrick explains the Trinity, you'll have a lot of fun with that. It is a good one, and the accents are just fantastic. Yeah. One of the things I think, though, that we want to remember is I, uh, sometimes we tend to really focus on one aspect of the Godhead and almost ignore another aspect of the Godhead or the Trinity. So, um, yeah. for example, sometimes we were raised, um, and I've, I've experienced this, where you're raised so much that everything you do must come out of the Bible, that God is going to speak through his word. And it's almost like, and I think it was in response to the charismatic movement, which was all about the spirit. You know, listen to the Holy Spirit, listen, and then they get into just really honestly, not the Holy Spirit, another spirit, where they're saying and doing things that are not promoting God and bringing honor to, to Jesus. It's really bringing attention to self. But I think in response to that, some of our, our Christian churches have gone back to where it's only, God only speaks through his word. And that's not true, is it, church? Is it? Does God only speak to Christians through his word? No. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and we're supposed to be listening to his voice. And that's something that takes, you have to learn his voice. And it's a wonderful thing. It's one of the best things I think that God has taught me in my Christian life as I've grown it closer to him is to really ask, God, help me to hear you above the noise. Help me to learn you. I, I don't want to miss anything you speak or say, God, that your Holy Spirit tells me to do. And so I think that's something to be aware of, that sometimes we do focus on one aspect of the Godhead and almost um, completely ignore, you know, another aspect. Um, the Holy Spirit's been called the forgotten God, which I think is sometimes yeah. a great title. 
Most heresies rise up. Most heresies rise up out of an overemphasis of one particular doctrine or one particular aspect of Scripture. So if all you're going to overemphasize in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit, you're going to fall into heretical pattern. If all you're going to overemphasize is the Holy Scripture, you're going to fall into a heretical pattern. And so what you need to do is be balanced in your perspective of all the doctrines that God has given us as we be best possibly can. The last thing I want to say about this is sometimes I get um, intrigued by this. As people, we get really um, just, I must understand the Trinity. And I can tell you right now, you are not going to until God fixes your mind and makes it big enough to understand a big God. And we need to be thankful for that. When you don't understand something about who God is, praise him for that. I don't want a God that is so small that my little mind can understand all of him. Like, what, what does Hulk say in the Avengers? That's a puny God, right, Burgess? Puny God there. If we can understand everything about God with our finite, broken little brains, he's not much of a God. So just because we don't understand something in Scripture or about who he is doesn't make it not true. It's like a little child walking to a, a college room where there's this huge algebraic equation on the board where scientists have been working on it, and the child's like, well, I don't understand that. It's not true. <laughs> no, you just don't have the capability of understanding this truth. The same is true of us sometimes when we try to fathom things about our unfathomable God. All right, let's go to the next question. That's a video. Oh. Okay, there we go. Will Alabama take the next SCFP? Uh, Did somebody really ask this? All right. Roll Tide. The answer is, yes. of course, yes. Yeah. Like, yes. We do not yes. condone gambling, but if you put money on something, it better be Bama. Next question. Oh, I'm a big fan, but that's a dangerous thing to say. Yeah. What is going to happen to uh, people in other religions? Mm. For example, my sister is Catholic, practices math, performs the sacraments, mm -hmm. but also says she puts her faith in the death uh, of Jesus for her salvation. Uh, does she have access to heaven? Oh, okay, all right. So this is a good question. Um, I'd start with another question. Yeah. So um, do all Baptists go to heaven? No. Whoa, whoa, what? No, no. Okay, yeah, so all right, where are you going with this? Let's start right there, is that when we look at uh, denominations that people claim, that has nothing to do with getting us to heaven or not. That, that's religion, that's just, uh, that's not something that the Bible ever specifies. Um, Let's ask we'll another question, good, good concept here. She's, by the way, doing what's called the rabbinical method. With a question, the rabbis would ask a question, and so she's very good at that. So I'll ask another one to follow up. Here's a question for the audience. Um, going to church, is it a good thing, yes or no? Yes, yes. does it save your soul, yes or no? No, no, no. no. So what's the point between what her question was and mine, and that is this, religion and religious practices cannot save you, no matter what religion or religious practices you follow. I'll say that again. Religion and religious practices cannot save you, no matter what they are. Religious practices also cannot damn you. You say, but, but that person... Um, that person at some point in their life bowed down before a statue of Buddha. Religious practices cannot save you. Religious practices cannot damn you. Okay, so then we ask the question, what is it that can save you? We just preached about this over the last few weeks. What is it that can save you? Remember you? the chair. What did the chair represent? One word. Hmm? Right. Christ. Faith in Christ. Right, yeah, okay. Faith. So what did the chair do? The, that's, the, that's the gift of salvation. And by God's grace, he gave it, and by faith, we sit in it. Mm -hmm. So what does this mean? Salvation is by God's grace 
through faith. So what is it that saves us? Not our religious practices. What is it that damns people? Not their religious practices. What is it that saves us? God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. So, so, so the, the question is then, no matter what your religion, no matter what your denomination, do you have faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for salvation? So whether or not you're Baptist, Mormon, Catholic, uh, Lutheran, Presbyterian, or Episcopalian, that's all of it is irregardless. The question is, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? Now, I have an example that you may be like, that's a terrible example, because I haven't told you this one. <laughs> well, go for it. But I'll, I was thinking I'll, about I'll tell, it, because we went to I'll India a few years ago, and it was really interesting to me that um, the Hindus, who worship many, 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 many gods, and of course, um, they believe, uh, let's see if I can get this right, uh, that m you keep getting reincarnated based on until you achieve, I think it's moksha. And it's, it's kind of like you finally figured it out, you got it right, and then you get to go to Loka, which is their heaven. So they do eventually get to a heaven in their belief system. Now, for those who aren't familiar, that's not El Pollo Loco, though that place is nor is, as well. nor is it Loki Fantastic. from the Avengers. It is Loka, okay, yeah, heaven. Um, but the whole point is, they do all, it's all based on deeds, which every religion outside of a real relationship, which is what Christianity is with our God, um, everything else in religion is based on what you do. Can you do enough? And so the Hindus, they do all this worshiping to all these gods, right? Got to cover all your bases. So when a person from India begins to go to the Christian church, their neighbors don't care. They have no problem with it. Why? Because you can worship Jesus too. Add him to it. Is going and adding Jesus to all these other idols that are going to get you to Moksha, to get you to Loka, is that salvation? No, because they're not believing in the way. They're just saying, yeah, Jesus is good too. I'll throw him in. That's what that faith, the chair, is about. Right. It's not half of my, my body holding onto the floor or the table. It is completely resting in Christ. It's not trusting in my denomination. It's not saying, Lord, I want you to save me, and also I'm going to keep going to church because that's going to get me to heaven. Or, Lord, I want you to save me, and I'm going to have my devotions every day or give this much money. No, it's, Lord, I'm helpless and hopeless on my own. It's all about you. Please save me. You did it for me. That is salvation. Now, can someone experience that, Josh? Well, let's get, someone... we'll get to that in just a moment, but to follow okay, up on ahead. your thought, there are these four questions as we're, we're going through these. Here they are, all right? Number one, religious practices, can they save you? Yes or no? No. Religious practices, can they damn you? Yes or no? No. Okay. Faith alone, can that save you? Yes. Faith alone in Jesus Christ for salvation by God's grace. Yes. Misplaced faith, what we call unbelief, that is what damns you. So if you have a Baptist who trusts his Baptist membership to sa save him, they are damned because they're not putting their full faith and weight in Jesus Christ. If you have a Catholic who's trusting the sacraments that they've performed mm -hmm. to save them, they are damned because they have not put their faith the full weight in Jesus Christ. If you have a Buddhist who is, who is trusting his practices, his religion, a Hindu, a, a, a someone of Jewish descent, no matter who they are, if they're putting their faith in anything other than the finished work of the Messiah on the cross, then they have damned themselves because of their unbelief or lack of faith in Christ alone. Does this make sense? So it's not about denomination. And by the way, if anybody ever tells you from any religious group, all you have to do is join our club and God, God's going to take you to heaven. That is a business model. It's not the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not historic Christianity. Does this make sense? All right. Now, with that being said, um, we don't know, we're not God. We don't know 
all things. We don't know every moment of a person's life. We don't know in the depths of their heart. So could there be a time where a person understood, believed, and trusted Christ completely in mm -hmm. faith, and then got wrapped up in religion and went back to could that, are they still saved? Sure, there could be people that put their faith genuinely in Jesus mm -hmm. Christ as salvation for, as a young person, and then they get wrapped up into some sort of religious entanglement. Mm -hmm. And so they, from your perspective, are performing religious practices that, that uh, believers in Christ probably should not perform. Uh, will they suddenly lose their salvation? No, according to the scripture, the Bible is very clear mm -hmm. that salvation is by God's grace through faith at the moment mm -hmm. of salvation secured throughout eternity. Yeah. But that still would be a conversation I would be having with them because, again, that, that is something you want to be sure that they understand. So simply stated, does anyone have access to heaven? Yes, everyone has access to heaven through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection by putting your full faith and trust in that and that alone. Very good. All right, next question. Do you feel we are living in the end of the last days? Oh, okay, this is a good question. It's, an, it's what we call an eschatological question. That is, what does the Bible teach about the end times? I, I do believe, yes, we are living in the end days, but if you would ask me a thousand years ago, I would not have existed a thousand years ago, but if you asked me a thousand years ago, I would have said yes, and if you asked me nearly 2,000 years ago, I would have said yes, why? And I'm not trying to dodge the question, it's because I believe that the end times, or the last days, began at the day of Pentecost. According to Joel, chapter number two, who is an Old Testament prophet, he talks about the end days and describes specifically what takes place in Acts chapter two. The moment the Holy Spirit is sent from heaven and the entirety of the disciples are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel begins to spread around the world, that is the beginning, historically speaking and biblically speaking, of the last days. Do, we be do I believe we are further along than we were 2,000 years ago? Of course we're further along than we were 2,000 years ago. But I know what you mean by this. What you actually mean is, do we believe the rapture might be uh, tomorrow, next week, next year? And the answer to that question is, is more complicated. Um, what you and I as Christians are experiencing is one of, th one of three things. Number one, we're, we are witnessing the end of society as we know it, because what we see described in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 by Jesus is the world will begin to fall apart prior to Christ's return. So either we are experiencing the end of the world as we know it, love the song, um, or we are experiencing the end of our society. And that's it. See, this is what's hard for Christians. The Bible describes what the end of the world will be like. Every time a Christian group happens to find themselves in the end of their particular culture, they begin to write all sorts of stuff about this is the end of the world. Well, it may not be the end of the world, it just might be the end of your society. Does this make sense? Christians who were in Rome during the third century believed fully that Jesus is gonna come back any day. Look, Rome is falling apart. Just because Rome is falling apart doesn't mean it's the end of the world. American Christians are really wrapped up a lot of times with, man, this must be the end of the world. No, it could just be the end of America. Does that make sense what I'm saying? And I know that's really like, but the end of America is the end of the world. I know, Romans felt the same way, you understand? Um, about their society. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Uh, I, you, I'm glad you love your country, and so do I. But the end of a society doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Could Jesus come back tomorrow? Yes, he could come back a thousand years from now as well. Uh, the third option, by the way, if we don't see a rapture, or we don't see, um, uh, what is it, rapture, uh, in my mind, 
the, the third option would be revival. We also could see revival in mm -hmm. our time and revival yeah. in our society. And that's what we pray for and that we work toward. So instead yeah. of sitting back and holding on to the rapture uh, or uh, selling our homes and moving up into the mountains, uh, instead yeah. what we do is we pray and work toward a revival of, of, of yeah. Christ within a society. Either way, whether you're looking, I mean, James tells us that, I mean, our lives are like this. It's a vapor. It's, it's grass that grows and then it fades and it's gone. I mean, whether Christ comes tomorrow or I die tomorrow, I should be moving forward with faith and confidence saying God is good because I'm going to heaven either way. Nobody can take that away no matter what happens in this world. So I'm not going to go and hide. I'm going to make sure that those I know, uh, they know Christ and I do everything I can to help them with that. I'm going to trust God with my future. That's a Christian's perspective. Now, when it comes to the practicality of America, I'm going to recommend something that's not even a Christian resource, but we've been watching a documentary on, was it the race for the White House? Mm -hmm. What is that? Is that Netflix? I think so. It's okay. really interesting. Uh, we've been watching all these presidential races from like way back when. And do you know what's been amazing to me is all the things that I thought were so brand new, like the really bad things candidates would say about each other and these dramatic changes in our country. Guess what? They've been going on for years and years and years. Uh, it's kind of like Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. So um, I would just recommend that, honestly, to give you some balance. I think every generation, I'm not saying there's not some things going on, but every generation feels like, oh, this is it, you know, won the world. And, and if you get some balance, look at what's happened in our country over the years. Of course, are things going to get less Christian? Yes, I mean, we are. Um, that is the world we see right now, unless revival takes place. But when you see the things that are going on that tend to upset us most, they've been going on for years and years and years and years. So. I agree. Very good. Let's go to the next question. Is there a way, and if there is, what is the best way, that you can guard your heart but also still be open and vulnerable uh, with others? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so according to the book of Proverbs, for those who aren't aware, I think they're referencing this verse. I think it's Proverbs chapter 24. It says, guard your heart because out of your heart... Uh, guard your heart with all diligence, uh, with all seriousness, with all soberness. Guard your heart because out of your heart go forth the issues of life. Um, it sets direction for your life. So uh, Christians have been taught, rightly so, uh, with those within the Judeo-Christian perspective, to guard your heart from certain things. Um, so is it possible then to be open and vulnerable with others? And the answer to that question, I think, is yes. I think we can take that passage too far than it was meant to be. Uh, whenever it's talking about guarding your heart, it's not talking about, uh, that is, don't open up your, your heart to others. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is you need to be careful about guarding your heart against sin. You need to be careful about guarding your heart against foolishness. You need to be careful about guarding your heart against constant insanity, uh, 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 untruths, constant um, lies and manipulation. So as you see within the context of the book of Proverbs, it's talking about guarding your heart against sin and foolishness. It doesn't mean guard your heart against people. In fact, the book of Galatians in chapter 6 would say uh, multiple times the idea of bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Practically this, many Christians have used the concept of guarding your heart to become isolationists. They're unwilling to open themselves up to others because, well, the Bible says guard your heart. 
no, no, no. What you're doing, what you're doing is you're, uh, you're, you're projecting your insecurities about personal relationships and friendships onto the scripture. That's not what the scripture was saying. You need to open up and be vulnerable with others uh, and bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah, two thoughts on that is um, I have sometimes people ask me, well, how can I ever trust again? How can I trust that person? Do you know in the scripture we're never told to put trust in man? In fact, we're cautioned against it. Who are we supposed to have trust in? Yeah, God, you can think of, I'm sure right now you're thinking of scriptures that talk about trusting in the Lord. But you know what happens when I put my trust for my name, for my reputation, for my heart, my security, all with him? Then guess what I'm allowed to do? I'm allowed to love freely, and I can open up to others, and I can not trust. So, for example, a woman who is paranoid, where is my husband? Is he having an affair? What's going on? He could be, but guess what? If she's trusting God, then when he tells her, yeah, I was at work, she can say, 1 Corinthians 13, love thinketh no evil. God, I'm trusting you with this, and I know that you're my defender, and if something's going on, you'll reveal it. That's a beautiful thing when it comes to trust. Trust in God, and it's amazing how easy it is to be vulnerable with others. Now, my favorite quote about this, when it comes to having wisdom about how much we share Mm -hmm. and who we share it with, this is so good. This is um, from Beth Moore, and it's just gold. It is pure gold. Be authentic with all. Okay, so be authentic with all, transparent with most, intimate with some. Authentic with all, transparent with most, intimate with some. So yeah, I'm not going to fake it for anybody. I'm going to be real, but I may not share everything. I may not share my, my opinions on every situation with everybody. That's not helpful because they don't need to know all of that. Um, There are a few more people that I'm going to let them see through more. I'm going to be more transparent with them, share what I'm really struggling with, like my small group, okay? But then there's a few intimate ones that I'm going to share the deepest needs in my heart, the the prayer requests that I can't tell other people. Um, Men, accountability partner, you need that. Women, we need that in our lives. But we don't need that with a large group, maybe. You know, we don't need to stand up here and share with everybody the deepest struggles, but we do need some that can understand, can relate, and can encourage Awesome. Let's go to the next question. Does Pastor Josh have smaller feet than Mrs. Heather? Uh, Does it look like it? That's a weird question. Does that, yeah, that's very insulting, I think, to both (laughs) of us. So. I'm a size seven and a half, sometimes an eight if it's athletic shoes. And And I don't mind telling you that I'm a nine to nine and a half. And if you want to buy me a pair of shoes, make sure they're a nice pair and expensive. Let's move on. So, can you help me explain why you have to go through Jesus to get to God? Uh, Yeah, absolutely, we can help you explain that. Um, The reason you have to go through Jesus to get to God is because God is holy and you are not. So, here's the essence of, of religion. God is big and powerful and amazing and perfect and you are dirt and scum and yuck, all right? And, and so you say, is he. And so, and so am I, I, right? Whenever yeah. I call you that, I mean we. Mm-hmm. Humans are mortals that come up out of the dirt, you see? That's who we are. He is the eternal God, the deity who always has been, the one and only true God. So how in the world, who in the world do we think we are that we could even talk to him? Not only do we come up out of the ground, the moment we came up out of the ground, we cursed God and we sinned again. God says, these are the things I don't want you to do. And we're like, which things? We'll do them. We, we, we rebel against the God who made us. Sin is a big deal. And not only did you and I sin in our forefathers, Adam and Eve, we sin daily against God. 
And so then we want to know, man, me and God, we're like best pals. No, God is God, and you and I are nothing. So what does religion do? Religion comes in and says, let me show you how you can get to God. All religions are attempting to get you to God. Some religions want to convince you you can become a God. And the idea is that you need a priest that is a go-between, like a bridge between you, sinful, wicked, dirt person, to God, holy, perfect, eternal. The priest is the mediator. Now, the Bible in the New Testament tells us that we only have one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth to bridge the gap between mankind and the deity. That's why he became a man in sinful flesh, or in, in sinless flesh, and held the hand of man, and held the hand of God, and brought them together. You say, but Pastor Josh, can't I just go to a priest, a pastor, a rabbi, and a mom? No, there's no man that can be a priest that leads you to God other than Jesus Christ himself. Even in the Old Testament, when there were priests there, all of those priests and their rituals pointed to the eventual sacrifice that would come, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who would bring mankind and God uh, together. So Jesus Christ is the only way. This is why he says in John chapter 16, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. Now, you, ha you might have a different opinion on that. Somebody you might know has, oh, I think there are many ways to God. I think there are different ways to God. And that's fine. People can have their opinions. Your opinion is directly opposed to the opinion of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're right, or maybe Jesus is. But according to Jesus, Jesus is the only way. If you have um, questions with this, I highly recommend reading over and over and studying in depth Romans, maybe the first six to eight chapters. Just read them over and over because it talks about the holiness of God. You'll be thankful that there's a holy God. We don't like injustice. <laughs> we want a God that is holy and just, okay? That troubles us as humans when we feel something is not just, not justly handled. You want that holy God. And then you're going to see the depravity that's between us and him. And you're going to realize, yeah, without God himself coming to, to earth, there's no way we do it. Romans Romans 1 through, I'm going to say 8, over and over and over. So what I'm getting, I'm getting text from Michael, um, and there are far more questions coming in that we have time to cover. We're going to take one more. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't want to answer your question. All okay. you have to do is email me, and uh, when you email me, I'll make sure I take time personally or have one of our pastors or ministry leaders within the church to email you and make sure that your question is answered no matter what the question is. All right, what's the last question here? So... Are you uh, going to choose it, or are you going to make Michael choose it? Michael just chose oh. it. Okay, all right. Are <laughs> okay. um, church denominations divisions? Okay, that's a good, good question. Um, probably stemming from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, and Romans chapter 15, both of which talk about the fact that there should be no divisions in the family of God. There should be no divisions in the church of God. For those who studied 1 Corinthians with us last year, you remember this passage, and it talks specifically about uh, don't call yourself of Apollos or Paul or of Cephas or or of Jesus, say you're all one family, like stop dividing. So now as you look around the world and you see all the divisions, or we, we would call them denominations, uh, are those uh, denominations evil? Are those denominations um, wrong? To that question, I would, I, would, uh, I would ask this. If you were to go to the store today, first of all, division in the church is not right. That's clear from the scripture. Okay, let's be very clear. But if you were to go to Albertsons today and you went to the vegetable aisle and none of the vegetables had any labels on any of the vegetable cans, what would you do? Well, you would look at that and be like, man, this is problematic. 
Maybe you'd ask for a manager. You would say, I do, all I want is green beans. Where are the green beans? And they're like, we don't like labels. <laughs> we want to be more inclusive. I mean, who's to say what corn is? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who's to say? Who's to say? Green beans could be corn. Corn could be beans. Who knows? We just don't like labels. You'd be like, I thought this would not take place at Albertsons. I thought this would take place at Whole Foods. You know what I mean? Like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's funny. Um, so are labels important? Division is wrong. I think labels help identify what's inside. And so the reason why historically the church and good Christian denominations have labeled themselves is because the label helps you understand what the doctrine is inside of that church. Does that make sense? Um, so, so are labels wrong? No. Are divisions wrong? Yes. Wh which means this. I can actually be um, inside of a labeled church and have fellowship and love with another church that is labeled differently if we agree on core doctrinal issues. However, this church might believe in baptizing children before, uh, before they ever receive Christ as their Savior. This church over here says, no, 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 baptism is for believers. So what happens is we label, churches label themselves to help Christians who understand the difference identify which church believes what. Now, the reason why a lot of churches are removing those labels, for example, you'll even notice within our literature and our sign, we don't have as many labels on our Baptist church anymore. The reason we don't is because nobody understands what the words mean anymore. Does it make sense what I just said? So imagine 150 years from now, nobody understood what corn or green beans were. Why are you labeling it? Nobody knows today what a Baptist believes. Nobody knows the difference between an Episcopalian and a Presbyterian. Anybody want to stand and tell me what Episcopalians believe versus Presbyterians? The reason is we don't. We have no idea. And so the reason the labels are removed is, number one, because nobody knows what those words mean anymore. Well, I mean, people like we do, uh, but the common laity doesn't. I would Number say especially two. the culture of Las Vegas, where we minister. Yeah. There are different cultures, I think, around the United States that possibly have more understanding. Yeah, and it's becoming less and less. So mm -hmm. the labels become less and less important. And the, the next thing is, those who have used the label are actually false advertising what's inside. Yes. Right? So you, you can get a can of corn and you open it up and it's green beans and somebody's like, yeah, and you go to the manufacturer, like there's green beans and it says corn. And you're like, yeah, but we think that green beans and corn are kind of the same thing. It's not. So what's happening in the last 50 years is that churches who have been labeled a certain denomination have changed their belief system so much that they don't actually resemble a historic Presbyterian church anymore. They don't resemble a historic Baptist church anymore. And those labels have begun to be tainted because Baptists are, are very famous for this, for doing stupid, terrible, unbiblical things. And so when you've done stupid, terrible, unbiblical things, people associate what's in that can with what's not actually supposed to be in that can. So people have eradicated the labels in a lot of ways. I hope that answers that question. Maybe it doesn't, but we're out of time. All right. Folks, we only do this, like I said, every once in a while. We hope you had a good time with it. The next two services are going to be exactly the same. Not the same questions, but the same format. Some uh, will take off, obviously. Obviously, there's going to be a huge crowd here at 10 and 1130. If you're like, man, I want to stick around, maybe you're more than welcome. You're more than welcome to do so. Um, we will only repeat a few questions. Again, if you do want your question answered, uh, don't worry. All you need to do is email us the exact same question. Do we have an email address we can put up there? 
Uh, okay, well, you can, here, let me give it to you. It's pastor at southernhillslv.com, pastor at southernhillslv.com. Do not be offended if I, if I forward your email onto another pastor. You say, I want to know what you think. I think the same thing the other pastors think, all right? And uh, they'll be able to give a good answer as well, but we'll make sure that the uh, dozens of questions that came in here, and I believe uh, scores or hundreds of questions that will come in in the larger services will be answered. We want to make sure your questions are answered. All right, let's close out today in a word of prayer and thank God for the opportunity that he's given us to be in this place. Father, we're so grateful that your word holds the answers to our questions. We're thankful to be in a church family, a community of believers here in Las Vegas that are still attempting to make our way through the understanding of each and every theological doctrine found in the Word of God. Bless us as we continue our search and our study to understand the truths of the Word of God. Bless my friends as they walk out during this Memorial Day weekend. Give them grace, give them hope, and thank you, Father. Thank you for those, as I think of this Memorial Day weekend, for those who have given their lives so that they could secure the freedom we find in this country even now. Bless us now, and bless us as we go into the next two services. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.